0: All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, nicks? What the fucking avians? What the fucking ucks? Because I am close to Canada. This is Mark and This is my show, WTF. Welcome to it. Today on the show, independent filmmaker Joe Swanberg, the amazing Joe Swanberg, who I couldn't be more excited to have on the show. Uh, his recent films include Drinking Buddies and Happy Christmas. Uh, that one with Anna Kendrick and Lena Dunham, I thought it was a a stunning movie. I've watched several of his movies, and and I I, I love them all. This is true independent filmmaking at truly a, a a low budget, and this guy does whatever he wants, and he's got a great sense of of cinema and a great sense of uh, of uh, aesthetic as a, as an artist. He shot his last film on sixteen millimeter film as a choice. Love it, love him. Great conversation. Uh, those, you know, those movies that I mentioned are available on Netflix, but Joe Swanberg and I will talk shortly. Uh, I, I know it sounds a little different. I am currently uh, sitting at the window in a hotel room in Rochester, New York. I'm at a Holiday Inn Express, uh, classy. I'm overlooking a, a bank. It's Saturday, so that bank is closed. There's a parking lot. I'm sort of in a not really a strip mall situation, but it is a, a more I don't even if, if it's an industrial situation, but it's certainly I'm I'm uh, sitting here sort of catty corner to a small mall with a Red Robin. There's a mobile gas station with a Dunkin' Donuts within it just across the street. And as you know, have not been drinking coffee lately, but when in the East, I will do as Easterners do. I will drink the Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And that combined with Sudafed, the good kind that you get behind the counter. So the Dunkin' Donuts and the Sudafed have given me somewhat of a a crack-like buzz without all the sweating and bad smells. Uh, I don't consider this uh, a relapse in any way. I do have a horrendous cold and I am entitled to caffeine as an American. So that's what I'm doing. I'm wearing sunglasses in my room, looking outside at a, at the clouds breaking apart. It's very exciting to be in Rochester or upstate New York at this time where the people are coming out of their caves for the first time in four months. I am very happy. I do not live in a part of the country where, where seasonally you are pushed to the limit and you may kill yourself or your family. That's an, Those things are, are, are thought of and those things become options when winter is as oppressive as it has been for uh, much of the East Coast this year. Uh, my heart goes out to them. I am empathetic, but I am glad I'm, I'm here. Like the sun is shining in and there's still some snow thawing. So I'm getting a little taste of winter, just enough. But I do miss the winter. I actually miss digging my car out of the snow. I miss fighting the authorities because you're not allowed to park on the street during a snow emergency but yet your car is buried and you have to unearth it you have to unbury it you have to 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 find your car within the snow bank to try to move it so you don't get cited for for being part of the snow emergency although being parked there is illegal the little things i miss about the East Coast. Uh so I'm doing warm-up shows, though they are not booked as that. I'm just booked here at the club at the comedy club. The proprietor here, uh Mark, is a uh, tremendously proud of his club. This is a, a, a genuine comedy club, folks, up here in Rochester. It is a a a a box of a room, not much on the wall, and uh it is it is spectacular. It, it's just uh, it's the raw goods, it's the real deal. And um uh, Mark Epolito, the dude that uh, that manages the place, is very proud of it. A lot of guys and uh, women come up here to do the stand up, and it's got sort of a reputation as being a a stand up stand up comedy room. And there aren't that many in the country anymore. You know, when you have corporate run comedy clubs, to sort of play a a, a, a real <laughs> gritty comedy club, you know, it's not it's not as a uh, it, it's. It's it's appreciated. It's a great room and the guy runs a great room and we had great shows last night. We're doing the shows tonight. But I, I'm just here. I'm just here in Rochester. And I'll be honest with you, I have never been in a part of the country where I have no compulsion whatsoever to the regional cuisine. Like usually I look at it as an excuse to eat badly whenever I'm in a part of you know, any part of the country that offers up anything unique. But really the only thing they have up here that they're proud of. I mean, I'm not in Buffalo. I'm in Rochester. So, what you have here are are these things called garbage plates. And I think I might have discussed them. I, there's some sort of holdover from the Depression era, but it's just a plate of horrendous food. And even when people, even local people, like yeah, all, the, all the, like there's this place called Nick Tahoe Hots. And for some reason, I think it has the Hots name has something to do maybe with. Uh, with the hot dogs or links or whatever, but every restaurant, every other greasy spoon in this area has the word hots on it. There's empire hots. There's Joe's hots. There's Frank hots. There's Jimmy's hots and whatever. It's all hots, but the garbage plate, I'll just read directly from wiki and then sort of go into what I experienced last night. The garbage plate is a combination of two selections of cheeseburger, hamburger, red hots, white hots, Italian sausage, chicken tender, fish, fried ham, grilled cheese, or eggs, and two sides of either home fries, french fries, baked beans, or macaroni salad. On top of that are options of mustard ladled on, onions ladled on, or a proprietary hot sauce with spices and slowly simmered ground beef. So it's pulverized ground beef made viscous into a sauce with spices in it that they dump over and they serve throw a piece of bread on the side. Now, did any of that sound good to you? I mean, it sounds good if you want, it, maybe if you're, uh, you haven't eaten in days or if food is, uh, is, is sparse or if you're completely shit-faced and you just need to carb the fuck out. But people, I was sitting with uh, Mark and a few of the people that work at the club last night because I wanted to get something to eat. And they're like, you get a plate, get a garbage plate over at uh, whatever hot's. And they're trying to explain to me what a garbage plate is because you, you you sort of have your own plate when you grow up here. You know what you want. Either you get the you get the hamburger patties, or you get the links, and you get the max out and the baked beans that are served cold, and the uh, potatoes, the home fries, and just ladle on this these simmered onions, ladle on the mustard, ladle on that fucking hot sauce. And they're describing it to me, and I'm like, there's no part of me that that is going to eat that. Where's the art in it? It's not like barbecue. It's just like it's just shit food stacked up and then covered with goo. And I just couldn't deal with it. And then all of them were like, and you're gonna get diarrhea. There, there's like that's just part of it. That's part of the experience. Like, you'll eat this, you'll have the shits tomorrow, but you know, and I'm like, then why do you eat it? Like, well, for us, it's for me, one guy says it's worth it. It's worth it to eat that. So you grow up with something, there's no end to what you'll put up with coming out of your ass, just to justify that nostalgia, that comfort. Of Of eating a just a plate of shit that you grew up with. Now, I don't want to be condescending. I don't want to be rude to people who enjoy a nice garbage plate. Look, I'm sure this. But this is the type of food where it's like there is no high end. There's no one that's like there's no gourmet garbage plate. Do you know what I'm saying? But uh, who knows? You know tonight, my entire attitude may change. Uh, I may be you know coming at you next Thursday with a, a celebration of garbage plates. Uh in who knows? Who knows? It's it's all possible. I tell you, man, every time I've been to New York the last five or six times, it's just been shit weather. And I just I, I all I'm looking forward to is I'm going to New York and all I'm looking forward to is taking a walk four blocks of Veselka and having a bowl of hot borscht like an old Jew. That's, that's what I do when I go to New York. I'm like, I need to go someplace where, I, where I'm comfortable, where I have some comfort food. I don't even want to go to the comedy cellar. I don't, even want to do, I, I don't even want to do anything. I'm going to go. I got some meetings I got to do, and I'm going to have these four shows here. What do I got to go bust my ass for and you know, go do a 15-minute 15 15 set in New York for? I could. Does that mean that I'm getting old? Does that mean I don't give a shit anymore? Folks, let me be honest with you. I don't know what the magic number is, but I'm telling you, man, if I hit it, if I hit the magic number, if I win the lottery, or I hit the magic number of fuck you money, uh, I'm not one of these people that's going to hang around and keep coming back, keep coming back to prove that I still got whatever it is that I have. If I hit the magic number, or I, or I, or I make it to the, to fuck you money land, I'm going to take a trip, perhaps forever. I have this fantasy where I just throw my phone into the river, whatever river, perhaps the ocean. Just throw my computer away and just you know walk off and just like, park my car along the side of the road and, and have a, a bag with a, with a few uh, legal pads and a couple of the pens I like. And, and I, just, I just head out. Perhaps I should bring some supplies because I imagine I'd be abandoning my house as well. Perhaps maybe a sweeping bag and a tent that, that, that accommodates one or two people. And I'm maybe one of those little uh, burners where I can boil water on and make soup. And I'll just have that and, and the knowledge that I have some money saved. And that's that's what I'll do. I'll be, a, I'll be a hobo just by virtue of the fact that I have no idea what to do with myself. But I know I don't want to do anything anymore. Is there any shame in that? Don't freak out. It's not happening tomorrow. That was just a fantasy. Isn't that pathetic? That's a fantasy. Is this like walking away from everything that, that defines a responsible life and, uh, and just having a, a, a traveling um, kerosene burner <laughs> or a little uh, sterno burner that I can make some soup in? And one of those ridiculous pots that you can snap shut and eat out of and also cook in? That's my big fantasy. How can anyone get in touch with Mark Marin? I don't know. You better check the trails. Look at the little books where you sign in on the trails. I would freak out day one or two. As soon as I saw an animal bigger than me, that it, that trip would be over. So I did the uh, Brother Wee's show up here, you know. Brother Wee's is uh, one of the powerful dinosaurs of uh, morning drive time radio going back a couple of decades, maybe almost three decades. One of the originals. Uh, the Brother Wheeze Show. I'd never gone in and did the one-on-one with Wheeze, and uh, he's a classic man, classic radio dude. He's got the pictures from all the different times of him, you know, all the different eras. You know, he's got to be in his 60s, but he's got those pictures of when, you know, partying was fun and hanging out with Joe Walsh and Kennison and my buddy Jimmy Schubert, kind of It's weird when you know the old uh, the old demons, the old warriors, the the, uh, the the guys that lived it who were still around, and you get into that conversation with them. It's like, oh, yeah, that dude. Is he all right? Is that guy still alive? Oh, he didn't make it, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that back-in-the-day shit, it's getting more intense as you get older. People are dropping, you know? But Weeze is still alive, and I'd never met him before, and that was a good time. It was a good time. All right, so let's. Uh, I, I really enjoy talking to this guy, Joe Swanberg. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. I, I just, uh, I just found him to be a very earnest, very smart, very unaffected guy that does exactly what he wants to with the medium he has chosen. Why would I find that so compelling? I guess there's a similarity, you know. But, um, but I like his movies. I mean, there's you know, there's a lot of movies that are called independent movies, but this guy really. Does independent movies, and he does them with an, a, a a sort of courageous aesthetic, uh, like he takes chances and he kind of pushes the medium a little bit, and uh, and he's very smart about it, and and he's the dude who's making the choices, and it was just great to talk to what I would consider a real uh, artist of 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 cinema, you know, doing it the way he wants to do it, uh, and and like it's just rare that I I, I meet a guy that uh, that I, I connect with as quickly as I connected with Joe, and, 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 and like as much, and respect his art. So, so please uh, enjoy this conversation with me and Joe Swanberg. And also, uh, before we talk to, uh, to Joe, DJ Copley has been doing some bumper music for us. And here's what he did with some of my guitar noodling that he pulled off of the end of one of the WTFs recently uh, and, and sort of remixed it and put some stuff behind it. He's on Twitter as WebPuppy45. If you want to check out his stuff, but uh, but now we're going to talk to Joe Swanberg. So so enjoy. So you
1: you have a well stocked beer fridge, definitely. Like that's uh, if you went into my basement, like yeah. the fridge has.
0: Did you shoot? Did you shoot "Happy Christmas" in your house?
1: Yeah, that's, that's your my house? house. That's my house. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So, that's the basement. Yeah, the tiki basement. Yeah, absolutely. And it
0: was like that when you got it. Was it.
1: built by the previous owners. Yeah, we just moved Who'd, in. Who had lived there for how long? Uh, for a long ass time. Like uh, we bought it from a ninety-one-year-old woman, and her grandparents built it. So it's been in that family. until Because us. like the tiki
0: thing, that's like it's that's amazing. the original tiki craze. It's so it's like the fifties, forties.
1: Yeah, he 40. was a GI. I mean, it's that first wave when when they actually like, for the first time, went to the you know Polynesian islands and stuff. They were fighting the war right. out there, right? And then they brought all that stuff home and Americanized it in like the kitschiest weird. And it became popular, right? definitely the and has gone through waves of popularity
0: yeah kind of came back kind of campy in the yeah. 80s yeah it was always sort of like part of the you know the betty page haircut yes
1: totally <laughs> area totally. Of, of things yeah yeah, yeah there's always yeah. a tiki thing tiki's and pinups yeah right
0: there was also some like you know kind of mondo film stuff around that stuff too right kind of yeah. weird
1: shit yeah so all right so you buy this old house you grew up in Chicago, though, or you didn't? I didn't. I moved around. My dad was an engineer, so I kind of moved like an army kid, even though we weren't military.
0: An engineer? See, I've had, I've talked to some people who have engineer fathers. Like, what, what does that mean? I mean, what did he do specifically? Well,
1: he worked for a company called Johnson Controls, which is like a big engineering firm. Yeah. I never quite knew. I mean, I think he did a lot of different things. I just like knew... He worked for Johnson Controls, and I knew that we moved like every two it's years. It's Very funny so. how many people I talk to—they're like, "Yeah, they don't know I'm what they're sure doing." My... I know, totally. <laughs> <laughs> also, why haven't I ever asked him? It would well, be such an right easiest to call him this afternoon and yeah, be like, you're like Let's get... you Just walk me through. Like, wh- what were you doing when we lived in Georgia? What was happening in California? <laughs> what was? The, what did you walk into the? Wait, you left the house. Yeah, where would you go? What'd you <laughs> don't even know. So weird, right? I know. Maybe so, he's yeah. CIA or something. I doubt it. but it's just—it like
0: vaguely... just, it's just, it's also speaks to how, like, how pathologically selfish we all are. You know, it's for like, sure. That's the guy that shows up, and yeah. apparently, I have to listen to yeah, him, and he, exactly. he, he brings money. Totally. The,
1: like, he's the law. He's the man. He's yeah. literally the man. Was he a good guy? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You seem pretty well adjusted. Yeah. I, first... I I like when I think about it now, and the more people I meet, I had the normalist. Like, most healthy childhood I could imagine. My parents are still married to each other. They're totally in love with each other. Really? Uh, I have two younger brothers. We always were fine. You know I mean? It was just, like, really... I'm, I'm, like, super well-adjusted to whatever being an American is. Yeah. I'm sure in other places I would be weird. But, like, for living here right now, I'm, like, straight down the middle, baby. I'm totally a normal guy.
0: <laughs> but I wouldn't... I don't know what that means. Like, if you went to some other place as a well-adjusted American,
1: how people would be like, what is this freak? Well, you know, like, I, you know, I probably have, like, capitalist tendencies that wouldn't, like, be cool other places. Like, well, I'm yeah, an I American, think, I, think that's, like, I
0: think that's tempered by your career choice. Yeah, maybe. You're-
1: but you know like I'm into buying stuff that oh, would yeah, be okay. cool somewhere sure, else sure. like I want to own a house other cultures are not into like private ownership in that kind of way like,
0: well, I think yeah I guess so but I mean but you it seems like you got a reasonable house
1: definitely it's You're like it's a very So like, okay so what what else did you learn about the history of that house um he so they did the tiki stuff in the 60s and then According to the neighbor, I live next door to, like, a 70-year-old dude who's who knew them really well. So he's mostly th- who the history so is
0: old working-class neighborhood. Totally. And yeah. it's
1: still it. I yeah. mean, like, the neighbors on both sides are really awesome. They know everything about their house plus my house. Like, my wife and I have learned how to be homeowners from our neighbors. Right. Like, when I have a problem, I can either call my dad, who can try and talk me through it on the phone, or I can go knock on Ray's door next door and be like, Ray, I don't know what's going on here. Like, there's water all over my back porch and he's like oh you probably have a leak under the thing yeah let's like i'll go get my stuff let's Mm -hmm. dig it up and then i watch him do it and then the next time i don't need to go knock on his door i'm like okay cool ray showed me how to do that
0: that happens here too like i had this like i had this like there was a puddle forming in that garden over there yeah and i'm like it smells bad yeah (laughs) and and i'm like and i said to my neighbors out there i'm like what do you think that is he's like i think it's shit water yeah and i'm like what does that mean yeah because there's that moment where you realize, like, I, no one's going to fix this. Doesn't it suck, that moment? A little where bit. You're like, where you're like, I got This is
1: my problem. Bro, right. Somebody
0: now. better fix this. And you're like, no, I don't think anyone's- gonna... <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> such a bummer. You're kind of in charge of that. Yeah. It's but, bad. So you didn't grow up- in, Where'd you grow up mostly? Every two years you moved? I right? would say
1: I grew up mostly in Georgia. That was sort of the place during the big formative years for me. Atlanta? Uh, no. Augusta and then Kingsland. Two different times. Augusta, and then I moved to Anniston, Alabama, and then to Kingsland, Georgia.
0: But to South and the Midwest is your sort of backdrop. Yeah,
1: and then and then weirdly, there was a two-year period where I lived on an island called Kwajalein, which is in the Pacific Ocean. It's part of the Marshall Islands. Mm-hmm. And that um, was the middle of sixth grade to the middle of eighth grade. And then I moved to Illinois, and I've been in Illinois since then. Kwajalein? Kwajalein, yeah.
0: You don't know what your dad was doing on Kwajalein? Uh, I do.
1: I actually... You know, it was only when I was older I'm not sure what my dad was doing every single day. Yeah. But Johnson Controls, you know, they bid they bid on these military contracts. So right. Johnson Controls won the contract for a two year period where they did all the facilities maintenance and, you know, I'm sure like oversaw the upkeep of the buildings, installing air conditioning systems, like whatever yeah. stuff needed sure. to happen out there. Sure. And then they and then Raytheon underbid them and then all the Johnson Controls people moved and all the Raytheon people moved in. So there's a
0: contractor. Yeah. It's uh, like, uh, but not, not military contracts, but not weaponry.
1: Not weaponry. Right. I don't know. Maybe Johnson Controls does that, but my dad wasn't doing that. And you this that, island, but... here's what's up with this island, which I didn't learn until I was an adult. And then I was like, I wonder what I was doing on, on Kwajalein for two years. Uh, <laughs> they were it? testing the Peacekeeper missiles. So they were firing them from, I believe, Los Angeles, like blanks into the atoll. Kwajalein is an atoll. Yeah. So it's sort of shaped like a boomerang. Yeah. They were shooting them in there engaging like, accuracy and, like, tracking, like, how... So you could have been I sitting on the beach watching yeah. missiles come we in. We did. We would go. Like, on the days where the missiles were going to come in, every... <laughs> there was only 3,000 people on the island. Everyone on the island would go out to the beach and you'd see, like, streaks of light. And it was like, cool. That was cool. Yeah. Was there
0: no, a it was too far out. Oh, it was too far out. Yeah. Oh, I guess it, they yeah. wouldn't want too yeah. close. Yeah. Let's see how accurate But you it see, really like,
1: f- you know, five of them all lined up perfectly next to each other, like all coming in. That's uh, crazy, interesting. Right? I don't know. You, I wonder what your brain did with that. I don't know how it didn't register for me until, I, you know, I was in my but 20s. But you remember doing that. And then that. I got on Wikipedia and was just like, what was going on out there? And then Why I said, like, we ooh, there? that's yeah. the nasty business, man. Right. But you
0: still went out there and saw the show? Definitely. I mean, yeah. as a kid,
1: I was, like, amazing sure. to go yeah. see missiles. missiles. I didn't think about, like, oh, they're figuring out how to kill people better. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, like, they're honing in. <laughs> to you, it was just like, oh, yeah, cool. it was, like, cool Missiles.
0: Well, it's it, it, but you didn't find it was tricky for you uh, moving all the time, making new it friends? It was
1: very tricky, but it also was, like, director boot camp. I could not have had an upbringing that would have better prepared me to be for in film the film making? business.
0: How do you figure that?
1: Because my whole childhood was you move into a new situation you have to quickly make friends with everybody Mm -hmm. who've known each other longer than yeah you've known them right uh you form tight relationships you uh figure out your thing in that circumstance what does that mean it means like am i uh the sports guy here am i the funniest one Am I uh, known <laughs> for eating weird stuff? Like, what's my thing that's going to mean that I can have friends and, like, be so cool So you're here? willing to go any direction. Well, however it works out. Yeah. Often it just happens to you. Yeah. You,
0: y- you know, You have, you are well referenced in sports and eating weird things and you're witty yeah, Or enough. whatever
1: the thing needed to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, this still happens as an adult. You walk into a group and you sort of, like, read the room and you're like, okay, cool. What's, like. I don't how, know. how am I going to have a fun time tonight yeah. with this group of am people? Am I going to eat this that? This guy's clearly already the one they all think is really funny. So I'm not going like, to get in a pissing match <laughs> funny contest Maybe you will, well, though, a little bit. May, I, maybe. You'll feel it out? It depends. If he's not funny at all, then you're like, oh. I, what if he's a dick? Uh, I tend to like not engage with dicks. Oh, okay. I'm not confrontational in that way. I don't wanna like not out. even a side swipe. Like you're not even I don't think somebody has to be really bad. I was at a bachelor party recently and there yeah. was a guy that was that was just out of control. And yeah. in those si- situations I can't stay quiet then. And then it got like openly hostile where I was like, dude, you are freaking me the fuck out. What like you he were he bothering what me. Was- <laughs> he was really uh, very, very drunk and aggressive. Oh. Like it, it, he was ruining everyone's good time. And oh, I was right. like, I'm not gonna like my buddy's getting bachelor. married. Right, right, right. I'm not gonna let this night go downhill like this. Yeah. Like you need to. Oh, you chill stepped out. in, yeah, right? I right. had to take a walk. Pal. Yeah. He, but, he, but he, dude, he was so far across the line. Like it has to get bad. <laughs> Most of the time, I'm just gonna be like quietly angry. You dealt somebody's with drunks before? A uh, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot. We host a lot at my house. So. I'm like getting versed in drunkenness. Like I, I, I'm starting to like be like a bouncer or something. Like you know, it's like now I'm around parties often enough that I'm like, okay, cool. All the warning signs are up. This person's gonna is really fucked up, right? All right.
0: Now. So you become a director early on because you had to manage situations and get everybody. I just
1: had to. I, I mean, I think I became a director because I'm like self centered and think I have good ideas. I mean, I think that's the director thing. But I had to get good. Moving around a lot growing up, I had to get good. At, uh, walking into a situation, like, f- making myself comfortable in that situation. Yeah. Forming friendships. Yeah. But then also, like, uh, then I had to move and I had to, like, not, uh, not... I had to form new friendships. But, I so had to you not knew. carry every single friendship. Couldn't I had be that ever emotionally invested. Me. Yes.
0: that emotionally invested
1: in a way. Well, no. Here's what I would say. ideally. What I would say is that I am that emotionally invested. I'm not fake emotionally invested, but also I know it's going to end. Mm. So it's a real investment, but it's also like it's it can't crush me every time i It's so like heart hardening a bit. Yeah, in a way. For All sure. And I
0: think I, I think that being involved with a direct direction or with a film, but not so much. Like a long shoot, you do you build love commu- those people. Yeah, you I mean, they're, community. Yeah, and-
1: for me, it, it, every movie I've ever done, you forget the rest of the world exists. You're like, these are my friends. This is what's funny to us. <laughs> this is the restaurant we go to every night. Like, this is my life. Yeah. And then the movie ends, and if you're not okay. With going and doing that again with a different group of people, you're fucked. I mean, you'll just be sad the rest of you. You'll be like, <laughs> your it's life. never going to be that good <laughs> that, again. That one moment. That was the gang. And like, now I, I have to just like recreate that scenario. So, in a way, it was just like, you know, the baby steps towards like, here's how you totally invest. And then here's how you also accept the end of that. Yeah. And you how have do you do to.
0: that? Um, Because you seem all, you know, blown yeah, out
1: by the, yeah. the fact that you're going to die. That's like the biggest human accomplishment we've ever done is we forget we're going to die. We're How amazing o- is that?
0: We're the only ones that have that choice and then so we're just able to want, we have to wander around and look from things that mean things. It's the worst. Yeah. Like it, like yeah. this self awareness yeah, and totally. the, the knowing that there's the finish line, it's yeah. sort of like, well then this has to, I have to do something. Yeah. <laughs> something has to mean something. Yeah. I'm in a weird position with that right now about like meaning. Yeah. What but, are you thinking? What's
1: tell me more?
0: Well, well, I'm at, you know, I just turned 51 and I've spent a lot of my life sort of like not acknowledging, you know, you know knowing you have problems or whatever uh-huh. they are or knowing you're hobbled uh-huh. in a certain uh-huh. way emotionally. Yeah. And then all of a sudden realizing like, well, all right, like I just got this book where I'm reading this book and it's like, it's really giving me a map of what's really going on and what happened. It's a clinical psychology book. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, so this makes total sense. So now how do I get at that part of myself? That needs to come out and needs to figure out how to live in the world and find, you know, like literally questions like, I don't know what I enjoy. What do I want to do today? Yeah. Uh, I'll choose panic almost every time. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to sit here and dread
1: doing things. Yeah. And that's a problem because life is short. But it's so cool that you're trying to be a better person, (laughs) that you're like putting the effort in. I mean, it's like really. I easy know. not to right i know
0: but, well it's it. well it becomes draining because like yeah. once you're on to yourself yeah it's not so easy not to when, when it's just right. second nature right. you know after you yeah, know yeah, after yeah. a lifetime of people going like you gotta fucking get your shit together uh-huh. or you're an asshole or whatever uh-huh. eventually it's gonna be like oh, maybe i, maybe yeah. I. <laughs> yeah 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 but right but it's anyone's journey do you, you know what i mean it, and then you get into that zone where it's sort of like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to fix
1: this so what can i accept and who can I find that can also deal with that shit? Yeah, to us like, be friends and right. like, romantic partners with. Right, like w- when I think about my wife, I it's amazing to me that she loves me and can like spend that time, w- spend so much time with me. Yeah. What 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 about you? Do you think is difficult? Um, a lot of things, man. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely, almost always think I have the best idea of how to like handle a situation. <laughs>
0: So you're, you it doesn't a, occur to me kind that of a I that that would be wrong, right?
1: I think, I think I'm, uh, you know, like I was the kind of kid that like a lot of stuff came pretty quickly to, yeah. but then also, uh, I don't, I often then don't put in the work to get a, a lot better at that thing. Oh, yeah. See, it's I just like that was too. pretty quick. I like, I figured it out and I was like pretty good at it very quickly. So then I was like, the best at it for a while and then the people who really put in the work to get good at it got way better than me
0: or i'll say stay good like the weird thing is is like there's some part of the brain like like if it's um whether it's an art thing or maybe it's a you know bowling or whatever like there's that need to fucking do really well either to prove to yourself or to prove to others just innately like i'm gonna do this yeah and then you kill it that one time, yeah, and then it never comes back, and, yeah. and you don't want to put the work in. You're sort of like, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. maybe I'll, I'll focus that hard Yeah, again.
1: yeah. So so you like know, what, I,
0: like what kind of things were you really good at?
1: Uh, well, definitely at school. I mean, I was like, could get good grades, and you know, I didn't. I, I like my younger brother James had to put the work in. Didn't come easy to him. Like mm-hmm. if he wanted to get A's at a subject, he really had to work. I could just like get a's at things. I could like figure out how that thing worked enough You're, to like be okay at it.
0: Right? You could fig- you were able to contextualize.
1: Yeah, I was like here's how school works. Here's the <laughs> dynamics. Like this is <laughs> how a test <laughs> goes. There's a system to most things, you See, know? I'm that's bad like at that, different.
0: Man. I can't compartmentalize very well unless I have to, like, you know, for secrecy reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but when i can't you no
1: know sensitive information
0: sure um, but uh but but it's interesting because like you are the way you are like i saw you briefly i went to a screening of uh happy christmas at the roxy the, like yeah. the last night of that yeah, guy yeah yeah totally who worked there mike
1: keegan yeah
0: mike keegan i didn't know him but i walked in just to see the movie yeah. out of nowhere and we were seeing the showing after you uh-huh. spoke uh-huh. but we got there early and you were on the Skype. Oh, cool! so that was the first time i encountered you yeah you cool. were talking live to other people And I'm like, this guy seems to be a smart guy. I should probably talk to him. (laughs) Talk to that guy. It's nice that I come across that way. I'm happy to hear that. No, you come across so well adjusted and like you've got your head on straight and you know you come from this nice family, but your movies are are difficult.
1: I think you have to have a very uh, safe, protective, healthy home life to make difficult artwork. But the thing is, is that the fact
0: that you're so consciously doing artwork is an amazing thing. Like, I don't think anybody's doing independent movies like you do them and, and continuing to do them without really too much of a hint of it, of it's some sort of launching pad. Yeah. I mean, I watched, I haven't seen all of them because you you'd made like 20 fucking yeah, feature films lot. in, what, nine years? Yeah, I've made a lot. But, but the the point is is that what you do is not easy to do, it's not easy to balance, it's not easy to make compelling. There's a lyricism and a poetry to it that is specifically art movies. It's, yeah. This is not just indie yeah, movies, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: These, you make art movies, yeah. <laughs> and, well, yeah, for sure. I mean, I grew up uh I fell in love with that, and then have like always aspired. Well, what's to your that. theory? My theory in the in the artists that I've known is that if you there are the people who are making art to be loved by others who like sort of are lacking this is very broad so of course like everybody doesn't fall easily into one or the other category okay. but like there's a way if you if you sort of are feeling a lack of love in your personal life or or sort of a uh a lack of a foundation of love mm-hmm I think it's easy to become an artist because it's it's a very quick way to get like love from a bunch of strangers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if they get it, yeah, or whatever, or you can bend yourself to make them get it. Like I think that you you know if that's the path you're on, you can figure out an area where you can find that love uh-huh. from from as a creative person. Yes, yeah. Uh, if you don't need the work to provide love then you can make challenging work because you're like, I'm in, I'm okay as a person. Like I have, I, I'm married, I have a child, my parents love me, like I'm doing all right. I have like a bedrock of stability and love. So now the artwork can push people. It can challenge people because if they don't like it, I'm okay still. But if you need them to like it because that's where your love's going to come from, I think then you make like, could make safe, likable.
0: Or, or Right, if you music, need to love. Movies, but it books, depends how complicated are. So like the thing is, Like, so if like, if your model is true and you feel stable, but you still have to put some element of passion, your explorations are emotional. So you may not be seeking the love from those, but the challenge you're presenting, uh, I, I just have a hard time completely believing that it comes all from emotional stability. It seems to me that you are working out equations and possibilities emotionally on screen that must be percolating inside you. You
1: can't be that detached. Definitely, I, I am. But but you're not. If uh, well, no. Here's what I would say. Like if if my relationship's in a good place and my wife and I are in a good place, I can make a movie about what it would be like to cheat, right? Yeah. And then I don't have to worry that that movie's going to fuck up my relationship. That can be a conversation my wife and I can be having while I'm making the movie. Right. I can explore uh, treacherous emotional territory in a very real way like in a way that hits close to home like for instance with happy christmas that's a movie that came out of conversations my wife and i were having after we had a kid where she felt really like uh stuck mm-hmm. like trapped at home with that kid and like she, she had bigger dreams well definitely she's a, we met in film school she's a filmmaker also and like i got to like after the birth of my son because i could make more money than she could at the time like just made sense for our family that you know like i kept working right and she stayed home practical and then it, you know we sort of like reached the tipping point of that where like this isn't cool with me anymore like it can't just keep going this way and because I'll, I'll die inside and hate he, you yeah exactly and so that's what that movie's about it's shot in my house my son and i are in it like that's a movie <laughs> your son was good yeah he's pretty he's pretty amazing he man. Got some good yeah stuff. yeah he's a total sweetheart <laughs> but you know like that that movie pushes a lot of buttons not only for my wife and i but yeah. for a lot of other people who maybe find themselves in that same position right
0: well i think that the, the other thing that movie did you know i guess we can work back because that's the most recent movie is that the character that Anna Kendrick played, you know, for for even someone my age. How old are you? I'm 33. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous.
1: It feels uh you've made 18 movies. It feels old and young at the same time to me right now. Like I I keep this picture, there's this picture of uh Robert Altman making Nashville. Yeah. that I that I like to keep handy because he's uh f- maybe he's 50 or maybe he's like into his 50s. He looks so playful, and, like, if you look at his career, he's, like, f- still figuring his shit out, like, still, like, inventing stuff, still, like, totally changing the yeah. game and the way movies are made. At Nashville, yeah. Yeah, it's really useful for me to have that around, because That's interesting. I, So those even men- though I made a lot of stuff, like, I don't... I, I mean, the stuff that I've made so far is so... I, I, I hope that the movies get so much better, and, like, I want to definitely make sure that, like, 20 years from now... Uh, I still feel like an amateur, you know? Like, I still have a spirit where I'm like, cool, let's re- reinvent it every time out. Let's he took not, some like, weird risks. He's amazing, man. He really... Like,
0: like Not <laughs> Yeah, he has made very, very <laughs>
1: bizarre movies. Uh, yeah, man. And bad ones, too, which yeah. I really like about him. It which makes ones him, do you think are even, bad? O.C. and Stiggs, I think, is really bad. That was late. I'm that like, seemed like that's a cash 80s. grab. That's like an attempt grab. at making a teen comedy. It's a money sure. thing, wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah.
0: And he shot the player too, didn't he? Yeah. That was tight. Yeah. I mean, like really that. It's good. it's interesting when someone breaks from his own style and says, I, I can make a regular movie. Yeah. Here, here's a regular movie. Yeah,
1: it's like a 90s Hollywood movie. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. But but it was so dark. It was so, like, yeah, such a nice kick in the balls to the industry. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, but, well, okay. Well, that frames something interesting about you is that because you have the facility that he did not have, which is the ability to shoot on cameras in a relatively expensive way and the compulsion to continue learning and pushing your own creative envelope that the fact that you're 33 it's it's like do you feel like at some point you're gonna be like well I'm gonna get this art shit out of my system and maybe level off on a vision that's a little more palatable to the general population
1: I think that that's happening anyway I mean I I, it's maybe like a a just a getting older thing or maybe it's a being a dad and a husband now but the last couple movies I've made in essentially the same way that I've always been working and yet they feel more accessible to people (laughs) Happy Christmas and and Drinking Buddies, the one before that. Drinking
0: Buddies feels different to me.
1: How does it feel to you? Um, there were moments in it that 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 felt uh
0: you know kind of a little more. I don't know if they're mainstreamy because like I you know Ron Livingston you know brings a certain amount of uh, recognition for sure. And and you know the backdrop of the brewery was okay and some of the relationships were okay, but like for me, what really seemed to be most like you. Was the the tension of of the friend slash love dynamic yeah, yeah. and that other guy's you know, the marriage of the other yeah, people? Yeah, but she, the primary character, was um, this is a difficult character. You know, I didn't, I don't, I don't know necessarily at the end of it all that she was ever going to really be able to access her emotions.
1: Yeah, she's in a bad spot. I think it's right. a complicated character. It just
0: seemed a little. I guess so. I think I think it was because. Coming into your work, and I know Duplass, and I've watched yeah. their stuff, but the whole movement that you're involved in, you know, happened after I, I was in a, you know, I wasn't on the inside of things. Yeah. You know, I I missed yeah. Mumblecore. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's not my generation, yeah. so I got to go back. So starting with Happy Christmas, and then immediately knowing, and hearing you talk about it for 10 minutes before right. I, I got to watch right. the movie. Right,
1: right. That's a crazy context to see a movie. What well, was the because- Q&A
0: beforehand. Because, look okay, I've never seen that before, ever. The squirrel just climbed down the screen. We just saw a squirrel's stomach.
1: It from... must happen a lot. I bet it happens five times a day, and you've just never been never here to witness seen it. it. Never seen it. It's a pretty ingenious way to get around. It just crawled down the screen. I know. Squirrels are amazing, man. They're very versatile. Yeah, I, I barely really pay that much attention to them. And
0: they're around. I, I wouldn't even identify them. If someone said, do you have wildlife? It'd be like coyotes, skunks, possums, raccoons. Squirrels wouldn't even make yeah, the list. It's a big, That was a big squirrel. Big. But, but the fact that you shot on 16, like there was something about, for me, as an older guy, and like you came up in film school where you didn't fucking have to shoot on 16 if you didn't want to, did right.
1: you? No. Well, I went to a really old school film school. So while I didn't have to, most people did. And you got the sense from the professors that they very much preferred it. And would w- want, but there you are certain, but that. there are
0: certain skills. I mean, outside of of understanding, you know, how to really control aperture and how to, uh, to to really get the most out of your actors and how to to think economically. Yeah, but like you know the you know editing sixteen is useless. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you know unless it you're doing it, something. It
1: absolutely is, and it's but it's also how I learned. So I have that's my, how you learned how to put things together. have a flatbed editor, cutting sixteen millimeter. Yeah.
0: Because I thought just the tone of it, you the amount—like, it's not that you have to forgive anything, but you, you, you realize, like, when if, even when I watched the, um, even Drinking Buddies, which is not shot on, film. no, it's shot on video, of course, right? Yeah. So, and in, in even the one with uh, that I just watched with Jane
1: Jane Adams, huh? All the light in the sky. It's a great movie. Oh, thanks, man. You like that movie? I, I'm very proud of it. Yeah. Like but it like,
0: what you can do with a camera, just with the ocean, you what you had to do you could not have done with 16 right ever so there's your context you know, everything's saturated a certain way yeah but it does have that feeling of like you know like when i was younger it's like i'm watching a movie
1: yeah you know I like know. you
0: you can't manufacture it that has deal. that for
1: me too it's a really it's the second it hits the screen chemically your body feels different <laughs> right You're like i'm looking at it's, something shot on film this is a film yeah i know so cool. so making that choice where did that come from It came from a fear that it was going to go away. I mean, I, I, having gone to film school and done work on film and then sort of spent 10 years making movies on video, I always told myself, well, I'll get back to film, you know, like that's once it's an option again, it'll sort of be on the table. And it just kept becoming less and less of an option. I mean, even if you have a little bit of money, nobody wants you to shoot on film. anymore. You know, studio movies are not shooting on film anymore, even though that line item would be a tiny one in the right. general budget. They're still like, why would we even spend an extra $70,000 that we don't have to spend? And so I got very afraid that I might go the rest of my career and never make a film, a real film. And so, so I decided to So up to Happy Crypts, you
0: hadn't done a feature on 16? No. That was your first feature yeah. on film? Yeah. How was it
1: for you? Great. Really a nice experience. I just, the
0: economy of it must really raise the stakes for everybody.
1: I noticed it <laughs> uh, in a very positive way. Because you're working with actresses that have
0: probably never shot on film.
1: Most of <clears> them <throat> hadn't, I don't think.
0: Melanie Linsky, who's a genius. Yeah. Uh, Anna Kendrick and and just this there's this this idea that like in the world that they grew up in it's sort of like we can do as many takes as the day will allow yeah because it costs nothing
1: yeah. Yeah, maybe like very early in their careers, they had done indies student on student film, film. But right. it, I bet it had been like a decade at least for all of us. And and you felt that did you had? Did you have to have a conversation about that? It was a part of how I talked about the movie. I mean, I I let them know that that was going to be a priority. That it was important to me to do this one on film, and that we, you know that was going to be where a lot of the money was going to go, and that we were just going to make that choice.
0: But but you know, if you work completely improvisational,
1: yeah so
0: it's a it's a gamble
1: well we budgeted a four-to-one shooting ratio which meant we four takes was the most we could do and you stuck by that we came in under actually huh yeah cuz you just let it roll Uh, yeah we we did that and also I'm my own editor so when I when I like something and I know I'm gonna use it I don't need coverage then after that you know we don't need to beat around the bush and say like well just as a safety net let's go ahead and shoot this and this and this because it's my movie Right. I, that take was great. I'm going to use that take. I'm not going to give myself a note later that I want to cut to an insert shot. So let's not shoot the insert shot.
0: Well, it's interesting that you know that that's a confidence of a of a, a creative person that comes
1: from having made seventeen movies already. Too, you know, I mean, I you get I, a feel for it, and you're also yeah. acting in it. Yeah,
0: you know, I know, like um, my you know, CK is a friend of mine, and he has that same sort of. You have to have that kind of weird creative fortitude to you know to direct your own your own yeah. movies and yeah. then to cut them and then to be in yeah. that you, yeah. you you can't yeah. you can't have that thing you're talking about right the need for love like yeah. I don't know yeah. how everyone else feel i yeah. I know someone's got to drive right so but but it's interesting to me with with Happy Christmas that it wasn't you knew the story. Right. So yeah. in your mind when you set out that was a pretty specific story. This this girl comes in she's your sister she's got her own problems and that character was pretty amazing. What I was about to say before was that no matter what age you are, uh, but I, you know, I'm only fifty one, so I grew up post sixties or whatever. There's there there's always that strange entitled, kind of like troubled, substance wise, but you know, not sure what she wants yeah. to do with her. Like it's it's a I recognized her. Yeah, like it's been around for a while. I don't yeah. think it would have been around in the forties in the same way. But there's there that character. And she's really the the pivotal thing, the the changer. And you hate her in a, a bit. Yeah. Not hate her, but sort of like, oh, fuck. For sure.
1: I hope. But why, how did you construct that story? I mean, I understand that you had your it's wife- coming out of really personal stuff. Also, my younger brother, James, who was not nearly as bad in real life as Anna's characters in the movie, but my younger brother, James, had come and lived with us after we bought the house. Uh-huh. And- You know, you reach a certain age where you just... It's hard to have people in your space for a long period of time. Even if they're your family. Yeah, even if they're your family and even if they're great. And even if they're helping out, you sort of... You get used to a level of privacy and a level of uh, autonomy. And then suddenly, you know, he was living in the basement. That basement is where my wife and I hang out. It's where the only TV in the house is down in that basement. It's sort of where we go if we just want to, like, catch up on a movie or show. And he was down there. So even just by being there... He was in the way, even if he was the politest, best house guest ever, you know? And, and you feel
0: like you have to do it because he's family.
1: I wanted to do it. And also, like, you know, he had gone to school in Lexington, Kentucky. He was ready to move, you know, out of the college town and move to the city. I thought that that was a good idea. So I was happy to be able to be helpful. It's nice to be an older brother and be in a position to help if yeah. somebody asks. Right. And so, you know, all of it was great. I mean, it was really nice to have him with us and... and uh, you know, he has a weird relationship to the movie because it he really makes it look like he was a fucking mess who, like, re- you know, really That's... fucked our house up. But he wasn't. You
0: uh, had to explain that to him?
1: Uh, we- we've talked about it a couple times, but, you know, he wasn't the best house guest ever either. But yeah, but he's your brother. Well, you and doing? he's my younger brother, too. Yeah, and I try and be generous to younger. But it's people.
0: interesting, though, because I've had to deal with that with my father and stuff because of the TV show, like, where you're like, where you threw me under the bus. I'm yeah. like, no one knows that but me and you. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean. but you can't explain that to somebody it's like no no one's gonna make an assumption it's yeah. very tricky thing if you're gonna use your real life in your art before i get away from this the one thing i've noticed in watching the films is how deeply the expectation narrative expectations of films are plowed into us almost like as old as as from when we're children for sure so it's very interesting to watch your movies. Like even when I was watching Happy Christmas, you sort of waiting like something's gonna get bad. <laughs> this shit just something's gonna go down, man. Like, yeah, is she gonna get in a car accident? Yeah. Yeah. Like, but yeah. the big turn was she like when she burnt the pizza. Yeah, yeah. And and that was like that was a moment. Yeah. And even in uh, in the stars, what is it? The sky. What's all the a, light in the sky. All the light in the sky. Yeah. Do Do you know what the biggest moment in that in that like the most com- like jarring moment was for uh, you?
1: I mean, that big conversation she has with, uh, with Larry Fessenden in the movie where he does the Jack Nicholson impersonation. That was to great. To me feels like the crux. That's like my big climactic moment is two people on a couch talking for 20 minutes. I thought
0: that the, the, the most powerful moment in that fucking movie was when that coat rack came off the wall. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's my action scene. That was it. Yeah. But it was yeah. satisfying. Yeah. I couldn't believe yeah. it.
0: Like after she leaves yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. that thing just goes I clunk. Know. And I I'm know. like, oh, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. The, that's the end of the second act. Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
1: <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, that's my sense of humor. I mean, that coat rack coming off the wall, to me, is the funniest thing I could do in that. That's so totally my sense of humor. Like, But it's
0: also very telling. And it's like, you know, because you're working improvisationally and you're hanging this stuff on a loose story that's based on emotion, Yeah, that to to find those things that hang your narrative on, literally, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's sort of the trick of,
1: of of making movies the way you do. Yeah. And it's
0: got you. Know, either people are going to feel it or they're not.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would say even that there is just like... Uh, you're already in a very small pool of people that are even capable of feeling it and then some of them are gonna feel it and some of them are not it's
0: interesting because like for me it's like it brings me back to a different time where you know where I was studying film in college and you know you had to be hyper attentive and patient and and try to like you know someone has told you that this is the good stuff. And then you just gotta sit there, you know, watching Saint Joan, you know, going like yeah. what am I doing? like red desert. Mm-hmm. Antony, and you're mm-hmm. like,
1: I can't. What? Why? What am I missing? Yeah, and it's like you can't be so hard on yourself. Yeah, it's it's. I, I, you know, I'm like the kind of person that automatically bristles when somebody tells me something's genius. You know, like like no, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is a masterpiece. That's a terror. And then I like fold my arms. and I'm like, all right, prove it. But, but now you're in I'm film school, right? In. Yeah.
0: But so like you got there's something. I mean, like some of your stuff is kind of Godardian,
1: definitely. I mean,
0: like, some stuff like... His his
1: playfulness with editing is, like, for sure, always been a big influence.
0: Yeah, but even, like, I kind of got the feeling watching Silver Bullet when she's playing with the gun in the mirror, that was almost an homage, in a way.
1: Yeah, that stuff, uh, it's funny how that stuff filters through. Like, you know, I sort of landed upon the way that I work uh, specifically to avoid... Uh, references. I feel like I went... You know, like, I, I was in high school when Pulp Fiction came out, and I feel like that was... That changed everything. Yeah. There was then a period of, like, three or four years where every movie that came out was just a knockoff of Pulp Fiction, it felt like. Right. Everyone was just trying to do that thing.
0: To, a knockoff of knocking off movies.
1: Yeah. Exactly. A <laughs> yeah, knockoff like, of well, a knockoff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh and so you know it was like a really that was the time period where I was falling in love with movies and so I, I had like had to go outside of that stuff because it, it just got so similar well, Where'd you go? I mean I I worked in a video store and so and we had the ability to order movies for the store so you know we were I was just like trying to watch a lot of documentaries a lot of foreign films mm-hmm. uh even Cassavetes. a lot of like exploitation trash I mean I definitely was into trauma mo- you know I was just like sort of Trying to dip my toes in all the waters to see what was registering and also what was achievable. Trauma movies, definitely. Yeah, but you did like, did you make horror movies early on? No, but I probably thought I would. I mean, I I was drawn to them. I was drawn to the ability to do them on a low budget. They felt achievable. To well,
0: you me. kind of pulled that out. You kind of dealt with it in Silver Bullet, definitely thoroughly that, as you needed yeah, to. That's
1: like, uh, yeah, as horror movie as as like my interests would allow me to get probably. Well, it gets like but uh but oh, but what about Casavetes? No, yeah. Casavetes only via osmosis. Like I've never really seen Cassavetti's movies, but I'm was influenced by the people who were influenced by Casavetes. So I'm who would they uh, be? Uh, anybody who was like an 80s or 90s American independent filmmaker, everyone, right. I mean, he's the Godfather, right? Like he sort of changed the game and then at, like in one way or another, everybody who has the gall to pick up a camera and go with their friends and say, "We're gonna make a movie is influenced by Cassavetes Right. So I, like, wow, he's not, for me, a direct influence. And in a way now it's like uh, those movies have become uh, holy because I know that I'll like them when I finally see them. So I've 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 sort of been waiting for the perfect circumstance. Like I, I'm kind of waiting for a Casavetti's retrospective where I can just go get, and watch them all in a week.
0: Just get the criterion box. Well I, I just want got to it. see them
1: in a movie theater for the first time.
0: Okay. I'm all waiting right. for that. Make maybe you
1: should build a theater. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you should why don't you why don't you I could talk to maybe like uh don't somebody don't you... and just see if we well,
0: you're in Chicago, go curate a
1: yeah, that's a good idea, actually.
0: Why don't you curate something like movies I haven't seen yeah. but I want to see? <laughs> yeah, that's
1: a good idea, man. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah, shit, I've been meaning to watch. Yeah, that's a good idea, man. I you might should, do that. You should do it. I might do that, and you get to watch it for the first yeah. time. Get the prints of it, and yeah. yeah, yeah, that'd be fucking awesome. I like it. I think I've always the celebration. that film thomas vinterberg's movie yeah it's amazing that that's it's what is that yeah i saw that in film school that was a big one because that i mean what's great about movies like the celebration is you no longer have permission not to go make a movie because you look at it and you're like it didn't cost much money it's all it is is really compelling performances and a really compelling story like now you now you have no excuses you have to, if you think you have the stuff, now go prove it. That movie did that for you? For sure. All those Dogma films were really important to me. Yeah. Because, like, what I love about Lars von Trier and, and those early Dogma guys was they they... For, at a very important time in my life, they took all of the emphasis off of production design and slickness, yeah. which is the one thing you can't do right in film school. You right. can't do that. Right. Y- you have to have a lot of money and be working with really good people. And also, that changes all the time. Like, our idea of what's slick and expensive-looking shifts every couple years. So even if you got good at one thing, y- you'd be out of touch by the time you, like, could put the resources together to fake it, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, so by taking the emphasis a hundred percent off of that. And actually by calling that stuff bullshit and saying, the only thing that matters is actors and a handheld camera and a story. I was like, oh yes. yes now like, i can work now i now there's a context for the work yeah. even the precedent has been set yeah like a guy who did the other thing really well just said that the other thing is bullshit yeah yes yes yeah it's, and it's... i was so liberated to yeah. just like get out of film school grab my friends grab a video camera and just make a movie
0: but but it also seems like you know you'll make a movie sort of at the drop of a hat
1: if i meet a cool actor or there's a cool idea that like enters the ether and i feel like i can like snatch it and go do it i'll go do it
0: well what about the 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 thing where you obviously shot uh, some of uh, the the Sky movie and Silver Bullet simultaneously or you had leftover footage
1: several of them simultaneously there was a period of time where I was working on uh, I think four movies at once that had a lot of the same actors in them and there was just like a ton of overlap
0: and there's certain people it seems that can do what you want them to do and certain people that probably couldn't when
1: I meet people who can do it I hold on to them very tightly Well,
0: like Anna and Melanie and Jane for sure for sure That dude who was in the the Sky movie. Uh, Jack Nicholson guy. Yeah, Larry
1: Fessenden, who's also a director whose work I really like.
0: Yeah, and I like the the other kid too, the one she slept with. I
1: like him Uh, too. Ty West. He's been in some other movies. Kent Osborne. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, Yeah, those guys, if you look at my movie, Kent Osborne's in almost everything I've ever made. Like, he's like, uh, I can't, (laughs) I get an idea, and then I'm like, well, Kent would be perfect for that.
0: But this is also familiar to you these are p- these are types of people that you kind of know in your life. Like they're yeah. familiar to me. They they are creative people. Like there's a, there's a in the world of where creative people work when they're not being creative and, and also how they carry themselves yeah. whether they've turned their back on their creativity or not. Yeah. There's a certain community to that. Definitely. Y- you know what I mean? If they're not if they're not actually, you know, actualizing creativity, they're 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 a brewer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Definitely. It's a, it, it's all very familiar to me, but in Silver Bullet. Like there's some real kind of like and not that you need to reference it, but you know, the fact that, you know, she's playing with a gun and he's behind her. Oh, definitely. It.
1: That 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 is a reference. I mean, that's that's like taking the whole history of movies into account there. Yeah. Okay. Like that's a scene from a movie. <laughs> right. Purposefully. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, they, it wasn't you're not lying to yourself, yeah. right? No, no, no.
0: Just filtered in. I'm like yeah, hubrick. Dude, I, I just <laughs> like, man, I don't even
1: ever think of anything. Like I haven't even watched did you, any movies. Did I you just watch... <laughs> I just you, wanted to be pure, man.
0: Did you watch that documentary about the uh, the Shining?
1: Yeah, what? I I had a really good time with that. Me too. It, it's really fun.
0: But the the only thing that was interesting to me was the one guy who said that you know that he was such a a, a deep intellectual that he might not have had any clue mm-hmm. that he was a, a vessel mm-hmm. for these layers of 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 uh, conspiracy theories of and, significance uh, uh, yeah, of symbolic yeah, significance yeah, yeah. of yeah. of semiotics. Yeah. You know, because you know, once you get hung up on that, what was it—the flower or the the box of um,
1: yeah, calamet yeah, what, or the coffee can—that's right, like turned right, a certain way or whatever. Right, it's yeah.
0: like you have a really hard time believing, like Kubrick's yeah. so yeah. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, because Hold of on, the I Indians. Gotta adjust that, yeah. But but somebody
1: did, sure. But your movies are not loaded up the same way, not at all. I mean, I'm hoping that my, I, you know, it's really, uh, it's a lot of it's accidental. I mean, I'm trying to create an environment on set where accidents can happen because I m- like my feeling is that you only innovate by accident, that nobody's smart enough to have a new idea that just like takes things into a new realm or it doesn't feel so constructed. Yeah. Somehow there's like a limitation that forces you to solve a problem in a new way. And that for me was always kind of the guiding light was let's put ourselves in a situation where we don't know what's going to happen, where I don't, I have to follow the action the way a documentary camera person would have to follow a real-life event. Like, I'm not setting marks where you start here and you have to walk over there. I'm just saying do it, and then I'll try and capture it, and by not capturing it, then I'll have to figure out how to edit the scene in a cohesive way, and then I might accidentally do something interesting or right. several interesting things. Um, that's That changes based on the movie. Like, but obviously, the, but- with Drinking Buddies, uh, there was a level of improvisation and uh and sort of a space where accidents could happen within the context of uh stronger narrative and better lighting. Right. Let's say. Or right. something like that. And yeah. once you introduce better lighting, you you sometimes have to set marks. You know, things change things start to change. <laughs> uh, show business, man. Show business, baby. <laughs> you now movie. you're making a movie. <laughs> and so in a way, I have more recently Embraced uh, movies the way movies are made because I did so many things outside of the bounds of how movies are made, and I also got to a point where uh, I wasn't creating situations where accidents were happening anymore. I was like too familiar with all those scenarios. I you done weren't scripting dialogue. Film, yeah. So I still wasn't scripting dialogue, but I was like, uh. I don't know. It just wasn't feeling chaotic the way it maybe did on the early movies. And I was like, you know what? I've become a director. I've, I've, you're okay with it. Yeah. And now I'm like trying to do that for a period of time just to like, see if I can get good at that thing too.
0: Well, well, it sounds to me what you were doing with once you were, uh, freed by dogma films in terms of process was you were like, all right, so, you know, I'm going to treat this organically. Yeah, because I have the freedom to do that and I have the equipment and it doesn't cost me a lot to treat this as as an organic process where surprises can happen. I can learn about myself through structuring these loose narratives to see how people engage emotionally. Yeah. And I can put myself in it and, and, and take the parts of myself that maybe are not that high quality people stuff. Yeah. And resolve, because like in Silver Bullet, I mean, the stuff that you were dealing with in that character that you played was too there was some it was too real some of that.
1: Pettiness, jealousy. But just the the hilarious
0: but yeah, that stuff like straight up artist kind of stuff. Maybe it's not the kind of artist you are, but it's got it it is for sure. I'm playing
1: myself in that. I know. But
0: the funniest thing is is that in every scene you're way into that overly large book. Yeah, that like yeah, that you're yeah. always reading this book and it's like got 500 pages <laughs> yeah. and you're well into it yeah. and never once did I think that you had read the other 400 pages necessarily. Yeah. yeah. But you're sitting there going like you're know, having this discussion about form. Yeah. Because you're so insecure yeah. and you're trying to yeah. uh, to yeah. act like you know more than yeah. you do. Yeah. But I thought it was hilarious that that book was always like right yeah. That, yeah. that the answer because yeah. I've been that guy. It's like it's in here. This is the book. Yeah. What book was that?
1: That was the complete plays of Chekhov.
0: <laughs> was it important to you at the time?
1: Well, we were basing Silver Bullets off of the Seagull. So we, we had like, stolen some character uh, types from that I should
0: I wouldn't have known that because I'm not that much of an intellectual.
1: Um, nor am I. I mean, Jane Adams turned me on to the Seagull when we started the mm. process of doing Silver Bullets. She was like, you should read the Seagull. It might be useful. And it was super useful. But like the
0: stuff you were doing with color and with video, and then you know, uh, like some of that stuff was shot on sixteen. The horror stuff was it, or just yeah, super eight, super yeah. eight even. So, but like to make decisions about you know montages like the ones you did in that. I mean, that was like fucking you know like,
1: um, stand and, brackets? Yeah, it was yeah. straight up bracket shit. Well, definitely the film school I went to, Brackage was a really important person there. Because, cause like,
0: the, you know, to take in Brackage at that time when when I went to a Brackage festival, I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm gonna, I gotta, you you had to, like, I had to sit there and go, like, I okay, I like Mark Rothko, I understand, I had to make this transition, yeah, to to understand that like film can do this, yeah, it may not be everyone's idea of a night out, yeah, but you can do it, yeah. But I felt like some of that stuff in there, to have the confidence to, to string those kind of images together and, and that kind of movement and those kind of colors, specifically for a poetic effect, is, is
1: ballsy, and, uh, not, and not many people are doing it. It's not very valued right now, culturally. <laughs> I mean, that's why a lot of people aren't doing it. Well, I don't know if it, it was ever have... valued,
0: except in the world that it yeah, was valued not. in.
1: maybe you're right. I might be, always like, a S. little S. nostalgic and, and, like... Well, you're, you're film school nostalgic. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, those yeah. guys were fighting... It was fighting... valued in film school, yeah,
0: yeah. Because those sure. guys were fighting exactly what, you know, you were fighting initially, which is that, uh, you know, to think that, that everyone's hacking on... Tarantino hacking on other things, and then the idea of production value. I mean, people like Godard and Brackage, to an extreme, were saying, like, Fuck all that. Let's bring it back to high art. You know what I mean? Even like they were turning their back on everybody. On Wells. It's all garbage. I can just put pink up for two minutes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's tough to sift through which of that stuff is uh, legitimate and which of that stuff is laziness. It's hard. I mean, in film school, that was a big challenge for me. With somebody like that. Because you you
0: could you could be the character in that movie and be full of shit. It's
1: very easy to just look at that stuff and say this is lazy bullshit. Anyone could do this And like, then defend it we, like th- why you know. do we think this guy's so great?
0: Right, but but you as an artist then like you can do that and rationalize it. Like, you know, like this is your vision. But the difference between you and the, the reason that I'm talking to you at all. Is that there's a tremendous difference between, you know, like an established abstract artist and then a guy who just says, like, anyone can do that. I agree with you. Of course. I mean, if that wasn't true, we'd all be in trouble. <laughs> and we'd be s- surrounded by, you know,
1: undecipherable garbage. Uh, yeah. But, you know, fraud slip through the system all the time. For a little while, for and and sometimes are so established that forever they do. But I, I mean, but if they're but I, here's that, what I'll but say. But then you're getting it's in... very dangerous to just accept that somebody's great. It's very dangerous because you you always should investigate as an artist. You as always artist, should decide that you like brackets. You shouldn't just assume you like right.
0: Bracket. But as an artist, see that's the difference. See, like a fraud can exist in a world if that fraud is making money for somebody else. Who gives a fuck if he's a fraud? It's a I see what you're saying. It's a different context. Yeah. But, you know, if you're going to talk specifically in the context of art, then there's different parameters and there's and then the inside struggle in between artists and justifying that and the critics that need to justify yeah. it or establish it. Yeah. Out in the fraud world. Hey, the guy made a million dollars for us last year. Yeah.
1: So, OK, he's a fraud. Yeah. But, you know, he's probably going to make two next year. Um. But there becomes a system. I mean, I don't know if, if you have this feeling when you watch movies, but. There at, at this point in time there is a kind of a movie that wins academy awards, right? Like sure. it's not a but That's it, politics, all oh,
0: fucking politics.
1: Well, I totally agree, but when I was a kid that kind of movie also was the kind of movie that felt like the best movie to yeah. me, right? Yeah. The older I get and the more uh, the more I make of my own stuff and the more I see of other people's stuff, uh the less those worlds seem to overlap, right? So there's like yeah. the marketing machine that decides that like you know, uh David O. Russell, Martin Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, David Fincher—these guys, like, okay, these guys make important awardsy movies. Everything they make Colin is going to be marketed and pushed through that system, aimed at those release dates, aimed at winning those Oscars, and then, like, sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. But it's all, you know, it's all sort of like belongs to that world. Well, but,
0: that, but you know, fortunately, out of that list, you know, which is one list, yeah, not tremendously schlocky. I totally agree. They're all amazing artists. Because there's there's a schlock component too to some of that.
1: So those movies come out and they sort of are pushed through the system as as the important arty awards movies, right? But like, I saw that movie, The Conjuring, that James Wan movie. I think that movie's a masterpiece. That movie's never going to be nominated for an Oscar. They're closed off to it before it even exists. I I didn't see it. Was it good? I think it's amazing, man. It's a really, uh, to me, the best crafted and best, uh, for certain people, the best acted movie of the year. Like, Lily Taylor's performance in The Conjuring is certainly better than anyone who won an Oscar last year, right? But because it's a horror movie directed by James Wan, that avenue was never open to it from inception they weren't and that, playing that that bothers me right right that right. we've that, that like it's so much just a part of the how the industry markets stuff that uh certain movies are eligible for awards and other movies never will be and right. they're not looking at the level of quality they're just looking at, like, is it that kind of movie or Does not? Does it that honor kind the system yes.
0: that we put into place? But, but and you, I
1: think that that's why it's dangerous, and that's why it's like you always have to investigate and decide for yourself if you even think a certain filmmaker is any good, Yeah, let alone a, a master. Right. But a lot of times, like, um, sadly,
0: like you said, they may not be frauds, but oh, they sure, might, but sure, they sure, might
1: sure. not be good. Well, great. if you can make a movie that consistently makes a lot of money, that's very hard to do. They're not. I don't consider those people frauds. Right. Actually, I think uh, these days, my suspicion is that it's easy. It's easier to fraudulently sneak into the important, serious art world w- world of things than it is the commercial world of things because the commercial world of things, it either works or it doesn't. Yeah, it makes money or it doesn't. There's a million shades sure. of gray in the art but world. It, but of it, things. right, so, exactly.
0: In, in the in independent cinema and yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, there can be some real.
1: Some garbage. Yeah, some garbage that, like, still has a place and still some, like, yeah, you're, because you're smoke up that person's right, ass. Right, and...
0: right. But you have, like, uh, like I, I've decided somehow or another that, y- you know, you're the only guy I know that's, like, you know, making these art movies in a way that is poetic and, and requires a sort of openness to allowing the thing to
1: to not give you what you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah and 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 reckon with it. I'm asking a lot of the audience. I'm asking them to participate in that with me. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh it's a big ask. And you know, as I've gotten older, it's an even bigger. I'm realizing what a big ask it is because I uh I don't get to the movies as often as I used to. You know, it's uh it's a bigger deal for me to go to make the time to go to a movie theater and see a movie. And so uh I think when I was younger, I took it for granted and I I made some Uh, Lazy choices because I I didn't uh, feel the responsibility that I feel now towards the audience.
0: Well, okay, so now as you're shifting, as you, you know, you went to film school and then you decided to to actually take advantage through, you know, your compulsion and desire to figure out some things about the medium and about yourself. And you've had all this experience that you've done on your own terms completely. um, What crossroads are you at? I mean, how do you not end up becoming a college professor?
1: Um, that's been an easy choice not to make because it I wouldn't be able to make enough stuff if I was a college professor. Uh, because but you know what I'm saying though yeah, like, because yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you have
0: an integrity that you' you know that there's some part of you like you know I know your cohorts, I know Duplass. yeah I know I, you know I know Evelyn Shelton. yeah I know of people that that come out of a, a real sort of like scrapper indie yeah. uh, ideal but but you have a commitment to a vision. It seemed that some of them were sort of like, well, I'm going to find my place in this machine here. Yeah. Like you're in Chicago. Yeah. You don't see, you just bought a house in Chicago. Yeah. You're not like, I'm coming to LA
1: tomorrow. Yeah. So what's the plan, Joe? The plan is uh, to have as much ownership as possible in my own work so that when that work does well, I benefit from it. And the plan is to uh just always work with really talented good people and i think that that the plan doesn't have to be a lot more complicated than that because it's always going to make me wake up in the morning excited to go do it if i'm around people who are stimulating who are challenging me but who are good people like i can't i just can't deal with a ton of bullshit and like i am really bad creatively when i'm around people who Uh, are insecure or who are, like, mean, you know, like, all those sort of things. So I'm, like, sort of sniffing around and just, like, I have my antenna up and I'm just looking for people. Like, I found Anna Kendrick, right? She's somebody who I hope to make 70 movies with. Like, we get it together. And, like, the thing that we can do, we can do in the most economical, efficient way possible because there's no wasted time. There's no bullshit. There's no, like, that I have to, like send the offer in a certain way and take her out to dinner and then like send, you know, send roses on the first day of shooting and whatever. She's like, let's go make a good movie. And that's all we have to worry about right now. I'm not going to like make a thing of it. Yeah. And, and Jake Johnson is like that. Olivia Wilde's like that. Ron Livingston's like that. Like those people that I worked with on drinking buddies, you, I promise you, you will see them a lot throughout the rest of my career. And, and within the context of that, Uh, if the doors to doing like bigger movies, like a studio movie or something, for instance, opens, my guess is it will open in the context of doing a studio movie with Anna or doing a studio movie with Olivia or doing a studio movie with Jake. And then we'll go do our thing with different resources, with a bigger crew, with whatever. But but in my heart, I'll still be going to work with Anna. But here's
0: my question. Yeah. Is that, you know, then all of a sudden the the the, the collaboration becomes much broader and much bigger in I've the never sense. done it. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I, I, I assume, but th- then you're gonna have to deal with that that the horrible menace of sure, production value. Sure, sure. And set yeah. deck. Yeah. And yeah. and you know, construction. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Totally. <laughs> but I yeah. mean, this could be we should like uh, you know, we'll follow up in like two okay. years and see if I've done a studio movie and if I like am back in Chicago, like licking my wounds or something. But um, I love a lot of big budget movies, truly love them, yeah. like The Conjuring, right? Of this course. horror movie that I'm talking about. I haven't made a movie that's as good as that one that mm-hmm. I love, you know, that's like sort of like my movies I love. I'm so proud of them. And they're doing a thing that The Conjuring's not doing. But The Conjuring's doing a thing that's really cool and fun. Yeah. And it's very, very exciting for me to maybe also do that thing. Yeah. right? And yeah. the other thing that's exciting to me is I don't know that I'm good at that thing. But it would be fun to get good at that thing just because it's another like skill set to like tuck in your toolbox. You well, know? But I think and, like, the thing
0: you have going for you is a, is a, a confidence in... At the very least editing and at the very least getting amazing performances out of people. I, and also
1: I, the capacity to collaborate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, the way that I look at the work that I've done with actors is like not getting amazing performances out of people. It's allowing people to give amazing performances. Like they've got the stuff, right? And like as long, like I'm good at getting out of the way yeah. and letting the stuff just shine through. Well, a lot of times you're acting. Yeah. That's right. You're good at that. Well, thanks, man. I like doing it. It's fun for me. Um, I hope
0: you can keep this disposition. I want to. <laughs> I want to talk to you in two years just to see if, like, if anything is yeah. sort of like what could happen. What do you falling? think could happen?
1: What do I think could happen? I like. I could die a little bit inside. Or
0: what do you mean? Well, I mean, I think that's a that that's sort of a uh, that's a, a a trope. I think what happens is you have to negotiate. Yeah and and you have to negotiate vision sometimes. Yeah. Even if even if it's not because of power reasons. You know, it might be the right thing to do. And I think having never had an experience with that. Yeah. Uh I don't know if you die inside,
1: but it I think it's it, it's it's a painful process. Yeah. And what, 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 can you be more specific? Like, it sounds like what you're saying is it's a painful process to acknowledge that somebody else might be right or more right than you are.
0: Yeah. And also that you might have to, you know, not do it exactly the way that you wanted to do it. Yes.
1: Totally. And, and that, you know, there are actually people that might know better. Totally. And, and this sounds very exciting. This kind of pain sounds very exciting to me, though, actually. Like, if I can do that with smart people who actually are right, it sounds most painful if they're wrong and you, and they like, You get, you have to compromise and then it doesn't work. Right. That sounds very painful to me where it's like, fuck, I trusted you and you fucked me. And now the movie's bad because I listened to you or because you had the power to just do it. Well, that, well that
0: happens. See, that's the other part of it is that when there's larger stakes and there's more power involved, then, you know, you're going to be the guy that gets thrown under the bus. Yeah. So, yeah, it all gets tricky, yeah. but I think what what you've done for yourself ultimately and your real passion is is to make films the way you want to make them and to experience the organic connection of the process and and the event itself outside of the movie you know has as much significance, yeah to you, yeah, so like the weird thing about that is is that you know if you get beat up a little bit, you could just go back and make your movies.
1: That's how I feel about it <laughs> yeah. that's why I'm even uh. <laughs> entertaining the idea believe
0: me like i know whatever's going on for me now that at the end of the
1: day i can come do this yeah right it's great in my garage i'll talk to you Uh, tell me about it man but it's very nice to have that
0: yeah you just don't want to get heartbroken that's a i think that you know and there's no way to avoid it but yeah i think that if you have a good head on your shoulders and you have things in perspective which you seem to have (laughs) you know you can you know yeah man you can kind of relegate the the risk You know, it's not like anyone's going to ask you to direct a superhero. That's right. That's right.
1: Not yet. Yeah, not yet. Nor do I want to. So, so like everything right now is pretty cool. Like the stuff that I'm reading that's written by other people that could be bigger movies isn't superhero stuff. It's mostly like the smartest cool stuff. I mean, George Clooney has consistently made really good smart movies. I mean, he doesn't seem to fuck around and just like do dumb shit. Yeah. they're Almost all good.
0: Yeah. And he seems like a pretty good guy. You can talk to Anna about him. He seems like a great guy. Yeah, He's she had a star. really good experience yeah, with him. Yeah, man. Definitely. Yeah, so did uh, Danny McBride, you know, like these guys. Yeah. So, you you come out here to L.A., and, you know, why would you come to L.A.? What What's happening?
1: Well, I come to L.A. because I have uh, business out here now, you know? Like, I work – I come out here to work. I you're actually in, live in, the, in Chicago to, like, live. You're in the movie I, business. I am in the movie business. I yeah. actually am, like – I make a living from my movies. And so I come out here to work. How do you make a living from your movies? Well, it's come in various channels. My earlier movies are starting to bring me some money now because they are getting distribution in other countries. You know, some of them are seven and eight years old. But uh, if the Sundance channel, you know, like had success with Drinking Buddies, then they're like, oh, this guy has other movies we've never aired on the Sundance channel. Let's license these For a small amount of money. So that stuff is like from the old stuff's kind of starting to trickle in. And then I am developing a movie for Fox Searchlight. So I got paid money to write that, which is part of how I'm living right now. And then I make money when I sell my movies. So Is that a movie on your terms for Fox Searchlight? Definitely. I'm, I pitched them an idea and they liked it. Okay, so, yeah.
0: And you do hang out with the other uh, young guns like the Duplass boys and uh, I
1: see them sometimes. I, I you know, I am. They're all, taking over Hollywood. They definitely are. I mean, it's amazing. It's <laughs> it's uh, they uh, without knowing it have been incredibly helpful to me. How so? Because. Uh, my stuff doesn't seem as crazy in a world where the Duplass brothers are really successful. And so they paved a way in the industry during the years where I was so resistant to the industry. uh, They were out here making these kinds of movies in the studio system and now the studio system has context for these kinds of movies. And so, you know, when a movie like Drinking Buddies got seen by more people than we expected, uh it was a lot easier for me to come out here and say, this is the next thing I want to make, and to have uh, agents want their actors to do it, to have distributors want to buy it and release it, and, you know, to a certain extent, uh, Lena Dunham's done that too. I mean, like... Oh, that's
0: right. She was in Happy Christmas. She acted in Happy
1: Christmas, and, like, she and the Duplass brothers, uh, I would say, you know, have sort of been... uh, the biggest advocates for stuff outside the system, you know, even though like they're known now for making stuff within the system, they've given context for, uh, the weirder stuff. And so like in a world where girls is on TV and where Jeff who lives at home opens in regular movie theaters, my stuff seems a little less weird. And that's, that's oddly, a big difference in the last couple. It's of interesting
0: years. because, like, it's almost a return to, you know, like for years, you know, even when you you talk about like, uh, you know, David O. Russell or or what you know or where Scorsese came from, that this sort of highbrow kind of, um, y- you know, intellectual discussion around anything, yeah, uh, you know, film wise or art wise. Became very insulated and kind of old guardish, yeah. And I think that with people like you and with people like Lena, who I've talked to, and Duplass, when he feels like talking about that, you know, and about you know, you know, what his place is and and why the films he made uh, were important, that it's sort of coming back. Like there, there's a little more movement towards you know an, an actual kind of intellectual discussion about art yeah. and about what film is capable of. Yeah. and and also I think that the business is broken open enough. That really everybody can find their niche and 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 in a way, especially if you 've got talent and you've got friends and you're part of uh, a momentum you know that you know that justifies you you know
1: yeah, and also we uh even in my life i've seen it go through waves and and you know we happen to be in a wave right now where uh, the studio system is uh uh, let's see, as risk-averse as I've ever seen it in my life, right? Like, they're only making movies that make complete sense and are almost guaranteed to succeed.
0: Internationally.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's a global industry now. Which means it's uh, the bar is low. The bar is low, but the bar is complicated. It's like a low bar that has a lot of twists and turns in it, and they know how to navigate that geniusly, but like I, for instance, they're can't making even start amusement to think park
0: about rides. it. They're making amusement park rides. I mean, they're... on the
1: bigger scale, they certainly are, definitely. Right. And uh, as somebody who likes to go to amusement parks, I also like to go to their amusement park rides sure. as often as I like to go to indie films. You right. know, it's like it's actually really fun for me to put on the 3D glasses and like drink a large sugary drink <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like yeah. fucking kick back for yeah. two hours. <laughs> yeah. I dig it. Yeah, yeah. And so. You know, there's uh, that thing happening. And I think that what's what I've noticed happening is that that pool of actors that can do those kinds of movies is pretty small. Yeah. And unless you get absorbed up into it, uh, you know, you're kind of left these days, if you're a really talented actor, uh, with then like sort of slim pickings on like the other kind of stuff that they're making. And what that has done for me is meant that uh, a lot of really, really talented people have been willing to come out and do a small weird movie. It's great. It's great. Yeah. It makes me very excited. It makes me feel like we're almost about to be in a really cool period of movies. Yeah. Where suddenly it's like, oh, holy shit. There was 15 great movies that came out this year. Yes. With great performances, like classic, amazing performances. Yeah. And it's because those people didn't get cast in the comic book movies that year. And they have enough money that they don't need to go to a job. And they wanna work. So they went
0: and did something cool. Yeah, they wanna do they wanna act.
1: Yeah. Are you ever gonna do like a large ensemble piece like an Altman movie? My new one is like that. Yeah. Yeah, this movie Digging for Fire that I'm finishing right now. Uh-huh. It's there are new characters showing up all the way through the last couple minutes of the movie. Like just uh, it's a sprawling sort of LA. Movie with a lot of people, you shot it a here? lot of roles. I did shoot it here and we shot it on 35 millimeter. Really, I shot on film again. Yeah, who, who funded that? Uh, I did partially, and then this group of Chicago investors that I work with, and then Jake Johnson, the lead actor. Wow, yeah, well,
0: well, shit, man, I wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you, I'll take it. And uh, and I, you know, I gotta catch up with more of your movies, but I think we did all right with the knowledge I had.
1: I'm surprised you've seen as many as you've seen, really. Yeah, no, I love them thanks man
0: like I'm, I'm telling people about them.
1: that's really cool that's nice I like them too but you know it's like uh, getting older I'm just like more every day it's more and more clear why other people don't I'm like I get why it's not or it's not what you're looking for yeah but, but I used to when I was young I was so frustrated but was uh, like, after, why don't you like it man it's like I'm trying these things how can you not engage now that I'm a little older I'm like some days you're in the mood for it. Some days you just want something easy. Like, I get it. That's right. And I've had to feel
0: that way about my stand-up and stuff. It's like, I can't... I never set out to make everybody happy. That's right. Like, it, you can't do it. Totally. But if enough people are into it, it's sort of like, well, then I'm going to keep doing it. What? Because you, you're you up against that the the meaning thing and the fear of dying thing. Yeah. That there's some part of you that's always going to think like, well, I have to make the thing that impacts the world. Yeah. You know? And who's going to do that? I'm not Beyonce. It's an awful lot of pressure. It's an awful lot of pressure, but it's awful lot of compromise in a way. Right. You, you know what I mean? It's like, because once you yeah. do that, yeah. then you're sort of like, boy, well, yeah, I hope he does it again. Yeah. And then you're yeah. like, I got to do it again. <laughs> yeah. And then like, if you don't do it again, you're like, you failed the world. Yeah. Like they didn't come see you in Sweden. Yeah. But you probably do all right in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for talking it. to me, man. Yeah. <laughs> great guy right i'm I, I, I love that guy and i love his movies uh, that was joe swanberg hope he dug that uh i'm coming to you if you forgot from a hotel room in rochester new york and i'm fine i'm fine i've got a crate of uh, mandarin oranges and i'm eating them thinking that they will change something go to wtfpod.com for all your wtfpod needs pick up the app Get on the mailing list. Leave a comment if you want. We're going to have some new merch coming. Marination tour dates are up at WTF pod slash calendar. Uh, everything's looking good. I'm excited to get out there. These, uh, these, uh, these warm-up shows are going well. <laughs> um, what else can I tell you? Yeah, so the Tripany House shows at the, uh, in Los Angeles at the Steve Allen Theater on March 31st. That's a Tuesday. And April 6th. That's a Monday. If you want to get in on that um what else i hope i get better soon i i like being there's something about being sick that's relaxing and there's something i I enjoy about hearing my voice like this but uh my brain is not as good as it should be when it's sick i mean it's always a little sick but not like sick from congestion i hope you feel good okay all right boomer lives